0: scottish paranormal podcast i'm your host chris and here we'll be delving into a multitude of strange occurrences that happen within scotland and beyond you can contact us with your accounts at the scottish podcast at gmail.com you can find us on facebook instagram podbean and youtube and you can contact us by either means tonight's episode we have author terry lovelace on the show terry's books consist of the devil's den and the devil's den the reckoning Excellent books on his accounts of UFO abduction scenarios through a lifetime of experiences. Terry started his career in the US military and the Air Force between the, the years 73 and 79 and followed on a career in law where he ended up assistant attorney general for two states in America. Looking really forward to the show tonight, so buckle in and listen in. So I'd like to um, welcome Terry Lovelace to the show. And thanks for really coming. I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Um, as I said, I've I've listened to your, your audiobook, um, The Devil's Den, three times now. A uh, really, really good book. I mean, uh, and as I said, um, The Reckoning as well, Devil's Den, The Reckoning. Really, really good book. And the reason I want to have you on the show is mainly I want people to read your book. I think it's a great book, and I think it encompasses um, the whole phenomena. I mean, so it goes from Early childhood, right through, and um, every kind of parts of the phenomena, the abduction phenomena, and even you see where you've got your military connection there, and you even see a part of the investigation what happens within that, and it gives it gives the listeners a really really good insight to what kind of can go on behind the scenes. Um, it was the first time I was kind of privy to seeing a bit of that within the book, and um, and I was quite surprised as well. It was yourself, it was narrating it, which was really really good as well because you. You also get the the emotion side of it as well when you, you're reading it. And I mean, which I, I thought was was really really good book. So, um, so the main thing um, is just kind of where did it start for you? And it's mainly I've got a, a lot of kind of new listeners, and there's a, new, a lot of new listeners to the subject as well due to quite a lot of things that's happened over the past short while with the disclosure and the um, start kind of initial disclosure you might be seeing in, in America, which came out after the Tic Tac thing and, and all this kind of stuff. So. Um from that, there's quite a lot of new people to the subject. So I always want to try and get you on the show. You highlight this as well to try and get people to have a look at us. And if they are so if you want to just kind of run through where it started for you.
1: Sure, sure. Happy to. Um, I, might, I might start off with my experiences began in my childhood. So this is not a new phenomenon to me. This is something that I've lived with. I grew up with. Um, so it, it's it's nothing new. Um, the state of uh, disclosure in the United States, you know, people, it, it's a mixed bag of reactions. Um, I'll Go back to December 17th, 2017, I believe, when Leslie Kane, spelled K-E-A-N, mm-hmm. the New York Times reporter broke uh, the story about the Nimitz Carrier Group, and, and the Tic Tacs, and Lou Elizondo and To the Stars Academy got involved, and there were some major revelations made, uh, specifically by active duty Navy personnel. I served six years in the United States military, and I can tell you that men and women of that rank aren't, aren't allowed to have a press conference the way this Lieutenant Commander Fravor, the the pilot of the uh, aircraft that, that encountered the Tic Tac, uh, the guy from the NIM that flew off the aircraft carrier Nimitz. Mm-hmm. Um, so something, you know, the the okay to give that uh, press conference came from a much much higher authority. Yeah. Yeah. And I guarantee you, every word that came out of his mouth was fully vetted before mm-hmm. he said a word. Uh, and there have, been, there have been several other people that have stepped forward too. Uh, Kevin Day, uh, who was the uh, radar operator aboard the USS Princeton uh, during the second, a uh, second incident. Uh, he's the one that coined the phrase, it was raining UFOs. Yeah. He was operating the radar screen and saw literally hundreds of objects and assumed that his, his, the, assumed that his system had, had gone down. And he did what we all do whenever that happens, he rebooted. He turned off the, the ship's radar and then turned it back on, hoping that it would reboot correctly. Mm. And uh they were still there. So um, the,
0: the the thing with that as well, though what um, the, the thing that people try to understand it as well is, is why now because if people try to whistle below years and years for years and I mean with, with different things that's happened throughout the years and it's one of the biggest questions is and I know people the main answer you get back is because maybe it's is, is time for the people to know and, and stuff like that right but I, what's your kind of theory on that where why now have you any theories on that
1: you know I, I, I all I have is conjecture I mean, I can give you an opinion. I don't have any hard facts to base it on, but it's my my opinion. And that is that, you know, I question why would the United States want to allow this level of disclosure from these military officers? Mm -hmm. And why bring it to the forefront of the nation's attention? And you know, um, that article in the New York Times should have been the biggest news story of the century. and. it it hardly received any notice Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and um, I firmly believe that the average man and woman out here is you know they're preoccupied with uh, football and what's on television and Mm -hmm. you know where they're going to go on holiday and uh, a thousand other things that take priority in their lives and this is just way way down on their list of uh, priorities. Mm -hmm. Uh, unless you're one of us that have had an encounter or mm-hmm. someone who has just has a deep seated interest in it. Uh, but I think it's going to take something major. It's going to take something pretty dramatic to get the, for this to get the attention that it needs.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree. As, a, as, as you see if you ask the average person on the street, I mean, maybe might be blaviest, the, the news reports that's came through and, and, and it's, and it's funny, you know what I mean? It is, it's, it's, it's no funny, and I mean it's 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 actually like it's it's crazy that um it's and it's not the point. It's not had the it's not had the limelight because it has. It's been in quite a lot of the news um being broadcasted enough. It's just people. It's I wouldn't say it's, they're not interested. It's probably what you're saying. They're, they're they're interested more what's happening on Facebook or TikTok or or, or Love Island or or something like that. And yeah. it's this is like it's astronomical what's happening. And it's I know for people in the community, if in this type of community and who they can follow it and they'll research it and investigate it. It's, it's a big thing for them because they hang on the word to it or, or they're, they're looking at the inner workings of it. But for people in the people outside the fringes of that, there's, it's just you no know, in their mindset to look at it, which I find just crazy.
1: It's hard, to, it's hard to comprehend. Like I said, it should be the biggest news story of the year. But you know, I look back in history, and uh, was it 1961, 62, 63, I think, that Betty and Barney Hill in uh, New Hampshire in the United States had their famous abduction. Mm-hmm. And it really put the concept of uh, alien abduction on the map. There was a magazine called Look uh, that was a picture magazine of the day, and there was a huge article about uh, Betty and Barney Hill being abducted and uh, um, their entire story. And it, uh, you know, it, it never went anywhere. No, no one was, no, very few people were interested. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't get that. I wonder sometimes if we're conditioned or something. I, I don't know.
0: I don't know. But that's my, my always kind of thought in the back is the whole kind of question, why now? It, it worries me. Why now? Because is there something imminent? Why we should know this, or is it just time? And and that's the, the kind of thing the, the under kind of line. Why no line in a sense line line, but it's like why now? That's what kind of tends to um, I wouldn't say keep me awake at night, but it's one of the kind of threads that you it's you think why now? Is there something reason there? And one of the one of the things that stuck in my mind as well was one of the interviews with Louise Elizondo. And um, somebody, uh, somebody had asked asking the question, if people knew what you know, what would the next week look like? And with that question, and the answer from that was, it would be a, if I can remember correctly, it was like a, a, a deep kind of intake of breath for a day or something, and then a, a sigh for the rest of the week, and it would be mm. like a somber sigh. And from that, you think what the bloody hell does he know? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. And you know, I, an interesting phenomenon, apologize, my chair squeaks. I need to get some oil on that. Um, an interesting phenomena is that sometimes I see things other people can't see. For instance, in 2014, my wife and I were coming out of a, uh, her optometrist appointment and she hadn't had her eyes dilated. Her vision was fine. Um, and as we walked to the parking lot in the back of the building, I saw this woman by her car door looking up. So human nature, I did the same. I looked up, and I saw a silver cigar-shaped object in the sky, about about as you know, about an inch long at arm's length. Uh, if you put it up in the sky, so fairly big. It wasn't just a dot. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, it was a sunny day and the sun glinted off the top and the bottom was, was shaded. And it was, it was clearly something that were, didn't belong there. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't a, a jet, it wasn't a dirigible, it wasn't a balloon, it was something else. Mm-hmm. And I pointed it out to my wife and I said, oh my God, look at that. And she says, look at what? And I said, "Right, right there. And she says, I don't see anything. And I said, you can't see that? And she says, no, I can't see it. I just asked, she said, you know, I see the sky. And I asked this woman, I said, madam, are you seeing what I'm seeing in the sky right now? And she turned in my direction and just went. <laughs> so clearly, the two of us could see this. And <laughs> for whatever reason, my wife could not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And for all the experiences that I've had over the years, you know, my wife has really only had one,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that was in 1987, uh, when she woke up in the middle of the night and I wasn't in bed, and she saw a silhouetted figure of a petite, short woman between the foot of our bed, silhouetted against the the window,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, this entity whatever it was, spoke to her telepathically. She heard it clearly in her head. Everything's okay. Go back to sleep. And that's what she did. She went back to sleep. And that's been her one and only um, encounter for a lifetime.
0: I think it's it's mad that, I mean, as well, even having that encounter, but it's it's mad what you're saying. No mad in a sense, like crazy, but it's how some people can see these things and some people can't. It's... You get, for example, well, children are more susceptible to seeing things. And it's some of them, I think over the years they'll lose that ability. And some still keep it. And you you get that. And then some people just close themselves off to it. I mean, my wife, uh, for example, she she believes in things, but she doesn't want to know. She doesn't want to know what's there. Yes. And it's and it's it's probably more out of fear than it is out of um it's, it's not an interest in, but it's because she's it's no lack of interest. It's it's possibly like a fear, a No actually want to know what's there, or what could be there. I um, agree with that.
1: It is fear. I I think, yeah, that's where, I think you're spot on. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And that's that's there's there's people who will be in the same categories that where they'll either no want to know because they're just not interested, and there are people we know what to know because there are a level of fear there because. It's like now, for example, with the UFO phenomenon. That now, and although people in the field um, have a, a good belief for it, right? They, they, they don't need to. Um, they don't need to believe in it or whatever. It's like it's quite a lot. of it, It's just know It's as it there. It's, it's there's so much witness testimony. There's so much evidence, and it's it's crazy enough to think there's no there. But then when you are with the revelations that came out as well, it's like this actually exists, and it's just another. Although you know that anyway, it's just another between the um, thing there that kind of pops up to show you that, and it's it's um and what can stem for that as well for the things and are working behind it. It's just the the possibilities are endless.
1: They they are, and and I agree with that. I mean, uh until something spikes your interest in it it's just something else in a thousand things to think about in the course of the day uh, and i and I, I wish i wish we had more answers than we have questions but we don't we just we're left with a lot of questions but um yeah i i, I agree with you uh, and i think that well, I'll just I'll just say that it's going to take a major event. I'll just restate myself. It's going to take a major yeah. event to get to grab people's full and complete interest. Mm-hmm. But I think that's coming.
0: Mm-hmm. I do too. But um, it's, it's, it's um the the worry of that is it's it's no going to be it's not going to be a nice thing of that. That's the worry. If I, you know I mean, and people are going to just need to know um for what it is. So but like, go gone back to your own accounts, um, so where it came of if you want to kind of brief briefly run through um I don't want to obviously ruin the whole book for the listeners, and I mean if you give them a kind of brief outline you know, where where it kinda of started for you at the, at the start of your kind of experiences and then for where it where it kinda of went through there.
1: Yeah, uh, I could give a brief rundown of my childhood experiences. um mm-hmm. uh, uh, just a just a brief run through um And I exposed in my second book uh, that I I think these things go back to age four. Uh, At least that's as far back as I can trace them. But as a, as a child, I had, I know this sounds crazy, but this is what I saw. I saw what looked like little monkeys, like little circus monkeys in my room. There were always four of them. And, um, you know, that sounds ludicrous, but uh, I think that these things appear to children in a way that the child will see as most benign. Mm-hmm. They come across as non-frightening, non-threatening, and uh, don't want to show themselves as they as they truly are. And, you know, I've got emails from people, I've got over 2,000 emails from people who want to share experiences with me. Mm-hmm. And I've had people write to me and say that, you know, between the ages of four and seven, they saw... You know, orbs and owls and deer and uh, raccoons and orbs of light. One woman call, saw Disney characters, cartoon characters, in her room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think somehow they have the ability to know what the child will find most palatable mm-hmm. and uh, approach them like that. But I think the people that are that are targeted in that range become what. The phrase targeted individual means, that is they're targeted for, for life, mm-hmm. that those experiences will continue. Uh, one of the commonalities that I found, um, which I thought was interesting because I don't know anybody else that's that's made the uh, observation. The people that had the most vivid experiences in their early childhood, age four to, to eight, uh, tell me that they had a dream somewhere between the ages of four and eight. Mm-hmm. They had a, a dream and that that dream is as vivid today as it was when they had it, you know, 25, 50 years ago, whenever it was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, that seems to be a threat of commonality that runs through a lot of people that, that, that had experiences with these things as, as a child. I saw my first UFO. <laughs> when I was at the age of eight. Uh, 1963, I was in my backyard and I was shooting arrows into a, a bale of hay. And this was a urban area, South St. Louis City in a row house. We had neighbors all uh, next to us. And while there really was nobody on either side of me out in the yard, there were other people out cutting grass, hanging laundry, doing all kinds of things. Early afternoon, beautiful sunny day. Mm-hmm. And as I'm, I'm looking down, I'm, I'm fixing an arrow onto the bow. And uh, as I'm looking down, I saw this elliptical or circular shadow move across my feet. And I looked straight up and uh, 50 feet over my head was the saucer. And, you know, I, I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, I thought it had this um, cool vibe to it, you know, like, like a new like a new sports car on a showroom floor has that that vibe, that feel to it. That's what this was like seeing this thing. I had no fear whatsoever, but it was a unique experience because as soon as I laid eyes on it, there was this distinct auditory change that happened because the neighborhood was loud. I mean, there were kids, dogs, cats, traffic. Uh, and suddenly it sounded like I had both hands pressed against my ears and uh, the sounds were there, but they were very muffled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I smelled uh, the grass had just been cut. And uh, this, this is a very vivid memory, an olfactory memory, because uh, I smelled the freshly mowed grass mixed with this uh, smell, like a ionized air,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like outside after a thunderstorm. And I'm, I'm looking up at this thing. And, you know, my mind is racing as an eight year old, what is this? Is that a plane, you know, and I'm looking to see CCCP or, uh, you know, USA or, you know, something, some kind of nomenclature on the side to identify it. And of course it was nothing. Yeah. And um, I watched it for a few moments. You know, what was curious was I had the idea and I don't know where this came from that I should lie on my back and look up at it to get a better view. And that Mm -hmm. really doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's what I did. Unfortunately, at the age of eight, I didn't wear a watch. So I have no way of accounting for how much time actually lapsed from the moment that I laid eyes on it to the moment that it left.
0: That was my next question. I was going to ask you that.
1: (laughs) You know, it seemed like, uh, five to 10 minutes. That's a pretty broad area, but you know, passage of time is difficult for an eight year old. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had one, um, one uh, UFO investigator uh, named Laurian Fenton told me that she believes that I was taken up into this thing and then put back down. And that's the reason I was on my back.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not sure I believe that, but, you know, I don't know. She could be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I'm watching this thing, it, it and, you know, kind of wobbled a little bit in a breeze. It wasn't absolutely stationary.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it kind of tilted and it shot off like from zero to bullet speed in the blink of an eye, and it's, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. And then immediately, all the sounds of the neighborhood come back fully. And I could hear everything going on, and uh, things were back to normal. But I was, I was uh, excited. I mean, I was uh, just thrilled to death. I felt like I had just seen something, and I think I did see something very important and I jump up and I yell mom I yell for my mother she comes running out you know and I'm like did you see it did you see it it was so cool and it was interesting because uh, my parents you know I told them what I saw you know I was a pretty straight kid I didn't lie I didn't make up stories Mm -hmm. I told them I saw using the words of the day a flying saucer and, uh, you know, they sat me down and said, we don't know what you saw. But we know you did not see a flying saucer. And uh, I couldn't understand why they wouldn't accept my story. You know? My dad, gave, or my mother gave me a pencil and a piece of paper and said, draw what you saw. I drew a circle and I handed it back to her because that's what I saw, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, but uh, 1963 was kind of a different time you know Mm -hmm. my dad says you know you can't tell people you saw you are a flying saucer they'll think there's something wrong with you Mm -hmm. and then he added they'll think there's something wrong with us (laughs) like ah now I get it now Mm -hmm. I get it so yeah but that made a great big impression on me
0: definitely Um, yeah
1: and you know like you said the implications are huge I'm an eight-year-old and I'm thinking well if this thing didn't come from earth, it came from, you know, thinking like an eight year old Mars or Venus, that's the only two reference points of reference I had. Mm -hmm. And I said, that means that there must be people there. And there must be people there that live in houses Mm -hmm. and have jobs and go to work like my dad does and work in factories and put these things together. And, uh, You know, they must have some type of training program to train the crew to try, you know, and it was just a big epiphany for an Mm eight-year-old to try to process all that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if if you see a UFO and you think what's behind it, it's got to be a whole lot behind it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was either made here on Earth. uh, Even
0: even in some simpler terms as well, but I mean, listening to that and, you know, you, you hear these, you hear the stories and it's, there's always like any os factor where it, the the sounds blanked out or is muffled. Or it's almost like you're in a vacuum. So even looking at that and and looking at what mechanisms are ha- happening there to, to what's 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 happening there to actually make that. And I mean, so it happens in so many different cases. So even thinking about the possibilities there, what's what's going on there um, technically to actually cause that bubble yeah. around you. I mean, it's like, a, it's just, it's just mud.
1: You know, one of the questions I get asked all the time is if these things are real, if they really exist, why don't they come down and talk to us? Why don't they come down and talk to the United Nations? I don't know. Maybe they have, you know, um, I, I think about the, the, there's a disparity in our intellect. I mean, I think that they are way above us. And I mean, I, I, I have a dog and, um, You know, dog loves me, pet him. You know, dogs have been domesticated now for 200,000 years. They've been living with us. He understands simple commands. I understand some of his wants and needs by body language and and the like. But, you know, I I can't just walk in and say, hey, how was your day? You know? (laughs) And and I think that there's that disparity of intellect between the two of us that make it uh, more difficult for them to maybe come down to our level and have a conversation. Just a guess, just conjecture, but.
0: Mm-hmm. No, totally. So your, your, your parents never believed you when you seen that. And and obviously you had the, the visitations at, at, along with that as well.
1: I, I did, I did. I had the nightly visitations that would uh, they go back to, like I say, to age four, as I described uh, in both books, but more clearly in The Reckoning. Um, that I would be taken in the middle of the night. um, And I was terrified of going, but the destination was always the same. It was this round room uh, with a gray padded floor. And I was always in my nightclothes. And there were the same group of kids there and they were in nightclothes too. Mm -hmm. They were all in that age range of four to seven. um, And... uh, we 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 play. We knew each other. Uh, now I didn't know these kids from daycare or from school or from the neighborhood. They were they were strangers. Other than we met inside this this thing, wherever wherever it was, they took us. Um, as a child, I thought they took us to a building somewhere. But you know, in retrospect, as an adult, I think they took us to a ship. I think that's where we were at. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a woman there that. I referred, I, I called her Sue, and she was clearly a hybrid entity. Um, and she was the same entity that I would later meet, uh, you know, 50 years later, and call her Betty. Mm-hmm. And she had an age today, and that's. Uh, but we would do uh, we would do things like put together these puzzles out of odd geometric shapes. I mean, there were toys there, but I mean, not, not trucks or army men or anything like that. It was mm-hmm. these geographic forms in different colors that, we, that she would ask us to put together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the exercises that we did was she would, uh, we all had a, we all had a uh, geometric form about so big, you know, maybe four inches in diameter. I had a cube that was blue you know, and other kids maybe had a sphere that was red or a pyramid that was yellow, uh, all different colors. Um, and this thing was it was strange because I could hold it in my hand, but it had no mass.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it didn't weigh anything. I mean, if I dropped it, it would fall to the floor, but it, it just felt like it had no mass. And we put it in front of us, uh, we sit cross leg on the floor in front of it and Sue would ask us to move it with our minds. Now, I know that sounds way out there, but Hmm. this is a a clear memory that I had. And I've had people, um, one of which being an author named Deb Cobble, who uh, is very well-respected. She was was, um, trying to think of his name, that doesn't matter, but um, she remembered having the same type of object and I remember trying to move it with my mind, and nothing happened. And then one day, it like rolled across the room about three or four feet. And uh, Sue came over and was just giving me high praise, and you know, telling me what a good job I did. And uh, my question is, why? Why would why would we go through this exercise? And I had lots of experiences from then. Also, we spoke uh, amongst us kids. In between Sue and us, everyone there spoke telepathically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, it, and it seemed to be the most natural thing in the world. Uh, and uh, I, I don't get that. But I, you know, I'll say this. There's a good reason why human beings can't communicate telepathically. And that is, I don't think we're disciplined enough. Mm-hmm. I think it would be, you know, Terrible. I think it'd be blood in the streets. I mean, I mean, it would be, if our minds were an open book and every thought that we had was uh, could be perceived by the people around us, mm-hmm. that wouldn't work so well.
0: Too much mind clutter.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, when you did you ever get any answers back when you were asking Sue so why you were doing exercises and, and things like that? Did you ever get any? Answer back for it, or do you have a theory on why it was? Was it just conditioning, or is that what you, can you, you took it as?
1: I think that they were conditioning us for some purpose. I don't think it was just for, you know, just for entertainment purposes. I don't think it was for purposes of study. I think that they were, um, I think that they were, we were being auditioned for something. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, that could just be part of being what's called a targeted individual who's going to be uh, observed for life. Maybe they need to establish a baseline of what our abilities are at that young age, so they can measure our progression throughout the rest of our life. Mm-hmm. I mean, either one's as likely.
0: Um, it must have been. It must have been terrifying as well at some points as in, when you were younger. You know what I mean, and encountering. Some of these things at night, as well,
1: yeah, you know the the um, going up to this ship or wherever they took us was never frightening. That was just um, familiar. Mm-hmm. and but uh, was what what was frightening was um, these little monkeys, these things that were masquerading as monkeys, mm-hmm. that would appear in my room. Um, and I thought it was peculiar in that they would always ask my permission. They'd say, Won't you come with us? Come with us and play. And it seemed like I had the ability to say yes or say no, because I know mm-hmm. many times I went with them, but I know sometimes I would get scared and scream. And as soon as I'd scream, you know, the hall light would go on, my parents would come down, and these things would just disappear in a swirl of shadows. Mm-hmm. So, I've always been curious. That's a question I've never had answered: was why would they need to ask my permission when I was young? Because mm-hmm. um, then, obviously, as an adult, they didn't—they didn't ask my permission in 1977. They just took us.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so moving forward, when you you had a lot of obviously experiences when you're younger, and. Um, and it was probably a harrowing time for you at some point here, yeah. and obviously, when you the ships and that you see it's familiar and stuff. But then, when did when did that, that kind of episode end for you? Um, and what age can you, you started to um know have that? I mean, I know you said for a young age, or maybe between like 48 and stuff, and then after that, did it, did it soon dissipate?
1: Yeah, my last childhood experience, uh was in 1966 i was 11 years old Mm -hmm. and it was a a bitter cold january evening and there was nothing unusual about the evening i didn't watch anything scary on television i didn't uh there was nothing out of the normal it was a normal uh evening Mm -hmm. and I, i went to bed and uh i woke up sometime in the middle of the night i don't know what time it was and there was a um there were these lights flashing through the window of my uh, bedroom. My bedroom was on the second floor and these lights are, are, just incredibly bright and they're flashing and they're green and yellow and white. And I thought, you know what, maybe a fire truck or something, maybe the house across the street's on fire. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I, I got out of bed and I went over to the window and, um, uh, we lived in a very old house, it was very drafty and the windows had Venetian blinds and then thick drapery over it to keep out the draft. Mm-hmm. And uh, I pulled back these heavy drapes and I tucked them into the Venetian blinds so I could kind of have a hands-free look at what was going on out there. And that's when I saw that right level with the my second story window was a, was a saucer you know, maybe 20 feet in diameter. It had a dome on top. Uh, and that dome is where the flashing lights were coming from. Mm-hmm. And the lights were so bright that if I looked at them, uh, it hurt my eyes. And uh, I watched them for a minute or two. I never felt fearful. I never felt uh, actually even overexcited. My, my emotions were somewhat muted. Mm-hmm. They were inappropriate to what I was seeing. Uh, and I knew this, I knew I didn't want to scream for my parents. Uh, and I, I watched them for a moment or two, and then I became completely disinterested and I went back to bed, you know, and uh, I woke up the next morning and at first I didn't remember it. Uh, and I, I threw my legs over the edge of the bed. And then I saw the window mm-hmm. with that curtain tucked into that Venetian blind and it mm-hmm. all flooded right back to me. I knew, Mm-hmm. Exactly where I was, and I, I don't think it was a dream. There's no way it was a dream. I can say I got out of the bed, I did this thing to the to the blinds, and in, quite intentionally, and uh, unintentionally, I left it that way. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I wonder, had I not done that, would I would I have a memory of it still,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or would that memory have not come back? I don't know. But then I had that. I was age 11. Then I had 22 years of relative peace. Mm-hmm. And in 1974, January 74, I saw a UFO when I was in the Air Force, but it was from a distance. It wasn't a close, what I call a close encounter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then in 19, 1976 was the year. And then in 1977 um, was the year that my friend and I went on a camping trip down to uh devil's den at northwest corner of arkansas about a six and a half hour drive from the base that we were stationed on we were both active duty at the time Um, we were ncos living on the house and in in, uh base housing family housing because we were both recently married and uh yeah so i i uh I had those, those 11 years of, of peace and quiet, and then I had this event, but this event uh, in 77 was um, the biggest event of my life. You know, I, I mean, I, I think of it on the magnitude of the birth of our children or something of that order, because it was such a big event for me that I tend to I tend to view my life as pre-1977 and Mm post-1977. I I feel like we went down there as a couple of kids, late teenagers, and we left there fully adults.
0: Mm -hmm. On on that, in the book, um, you seem to have been kind of pulled there, the two of you, have pulled to um, that area. Do you do you suspect that Toby as well had to be experiences prior to Devil's Den?
1: I sure do. And and what what a shame it is that we never had the opportunity to discuss that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my friend Toby wanted to be an astronomer, cosmologist. Uh, he was a very gifted mathematician. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was in the service like me. He was in the service to get a. Um, Ticket for a college college education that was the reason we were there
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, he wanted to finish his enlistment and go study physics and then get go on and get a postgraduate degree in cosmology or astronomy or something and he was a gifted kid he was brilliant uh, and i often wondered where did that where did that interest come from mm-hmm. you know i i i would bet my life he was uh taken like i was who knows? We could have even met each other on that on that ship back in the day. Right? We don't know.
0: Why do you? Did you have any theories on why it happened at Devil's Den? Because like these things could potentially take you through anywhere.
1: They could. They could take. Could have taken us out of the house. Mm-hmm. You know, out of a the car. They could have taken us anywhere. Um, and how did we get to Devil's Den? You know, this was Toby's idea. Uh, but I fully endorsed it and it was odd because we were going down there to go camping in the wilderness and we were, we were living in the middle of a wilderness. I mean, there were a half a dozen mm-hmm. state and federal parks, uh, <clears throat> within an hour drive or less. Uh, matter of fact, there was one directly across from the base. Uh, that base is still there today. It's Whiteman air force base
2: mm-hmm.
1: at the time that we were there. It was, uh, It had B-52s with nuclear weapons, and it had a squadron of Minutemen II ICBM missiles scattered out across the countryside and farm fields and the like. Uh, And all that stuff's long gone. It's now home to the B-2 bombers. Mm -hmm. That's what they call home. Um, But I, I think that this idea to visit Devil's Den State Park was planted in Toby for some reason. And, you know, I, I started writing this book, uh, Incident at Devil's Den, in 2016. And uh, when I did, somebody said, you know, you, you, ought, you ought to look up and try to find the spot where they took you on Google Earth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I told them, I said, you know, I, I, it's got to be covered with 40-year-old mature trees by now. Mm-hmm. We're not going to find anything. Um, I think I may have sent you a picture uh, of that, of the plateau.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm.
1: And if you look at it uh, from Google Earth, Mm -hmm. it's almost triangular. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I stated in the book that when we walked it, it it seemed horseshoe shaped. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, But what's interesting was that the grass is cut on top of that plateau. (laughs) Now, there's still just a dirt road that goes almost vertically up the side of that hill, Mm -hmm. Uh, but there are tractor marks. and someone goes up there on a regular basis and keeps that clear cut. They, they cut the uh, weeds and the grass down to they're about six inches high mm-hmm. and it's done on a regular basis. Now, the interesting thing is, is that's not actually in Devil's Den State Park. I, I had no way of knowing this at the time. If you go on Google Earth, it'll show you that there's a boundary line and this triangle where we set up our camp on top of this plateau, is actually on federally owned land that's leased to an individual. Uh and it's owned by the Bureau of Land Management. Uh and it's uh it's still an off limits area.
0: Have you ever actually been up um personally since this incident?
1: Have I been up there again? Yes. No, I have not. No. I, I have not. I, I have an aversion to camping or uh, mm-hmm. uh, that type of thing. I, uh, well, I've i not been back. Uh, and, and it is off limits still. There's a chain across the road and, you know, there's no admittance sign still. Mm-hmm. Uh, next year will be the 45th anniversary of the event. And I'm seriously considering making a trek down there and uh, maybe take some friends with me at night <laughs> up on top of the ridge, which I know is still there, and uh, spend the evening. I don't know if I don't know if I if I'm ready to do that or not, but uh, I think that might be good for me to do.
2: The
0: the craft the craft you've seen on the night, um, it's that type of craft been seen. It's been seen elsewhere. Have you, have you found any reports yourself yet?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I found. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there's a TCB 3 or something that's an alleged uh, United States Air Force or Space Force craft that's a triangle, but it's a, it's a single depth, it's a one story tall vehicle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it wasn't around in 1977. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of David Marler. And David Marlar wrote, the, literally wrote the book on triangular shaped UFOs, history from biblical times to today. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that year, in 1977, uh, my incident happened in June. He had a relative, I want to say a sister who was traveling uh, on the I-70 corridor that goes from St. Louis to Kansas city. And they saw the people in the car saw a triangle, a triangular shaped craft um, that was big mm-hmm. and that same that same year in nineteen seventy seven there was a woman in the Hudson Valley area up uh, up in the northeast in New England
2: mm-hmm.
1: who claims that she saw a um, a triangular shaped craft, and she used the exact words I use five stories deep mm-hmm. so
0: we had a report here. I've, I've only relayed this this once um, because the, the the person I spoke to the one the one they've no been confident enough to come on and record a story yet, but I've heard the story and I've not relayed it and I've kept them anonymous and stuff like that. But they'd seen um, a, a triangle, it was 2015, and it was the, the description if it served me right my memory correctly, it was either the sizey two aircraft hangars or an, air, or an aircraft carrier. That was the that was kind of they, the size of yeah. that They couldn't believe that nobody else had seen it. It was like they seen it, and it even pulled, they said they could see it going into the cloud, and it pulled some of the cloud in with it. Yeah. Um, when it went in. And it was like, if you're talking, it was like five miles from here. Two, really? 2015. Uh,
1: 2015. Mm-hmm. And I bet they said it was dead quiet, not a noise.
0: Ah, uh, nothing at all. Yeah. Nothing at all. But this person had a, um, a kind of history, experiences. It was it was a total chance encounter, um, total plausible people. Um, but they've no, they've they said they were going to contact me to come back on. But I, you don't push these things. I mean, so it's a case of, um They've given me the story, but I've never really relayed it for the fact that um, they've no came on. And um, or wanted it recorded yet, but I'd, I'd met them again and they said they were going to come on and there was a, a, a bit of a backstory to it as well. I mean, with the stuff i would seen when he was younger and stuff, but that was one of the, the other stories that had seen uh, that and it was like literally quite local. Um but, uh, it's, it was pretty amazing. So sorry, that so was like <laughs> just going on with the birds. It was it did come to mind when obviously listening to the book about the um, the size of the triangle. And being that kindy kindy craft, you know what I mean. So. um,
1: You know, uh, and that happened in 2015, you said. 2015. um, Yeah, 2015. Yeah. 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 Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, people see stuff all the time. You know, 1997. I don't know if it made much press over there or not, uh, but there was a a phenomenon that became known as the Phoenix Lights. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, there is a woman, Lynn Kaitel. uh, she's a medical doctor and she's kind of, uh, done all the research and written the book. Uh, you know, that, that giant, uh, triangular shaped craft that flew mm-hmm. over Phoenix was seen by, you know, thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, after the fact, uh, not many people wanted to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be a common thing too.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally.
1: Nobody wants to talk about it. And
0: the military airbrush a few, um, what do you call it? Um, flares <laughs> over the top of it. Airbrush a few flares at the same time or run about the event to, to try and kind of brush over it. And uh, Yeah.
1: You know, what's interesting is the, uh, the governor of the state, and I forget his name, the okay. governor of the state went on it went on television and uh, made made jest of it, you know. Said, you know, well, we've we've discovered the cause of the Phoenix Lights, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to say he's here today. And he had one of his aides come out dressed in an ET costume. Yeah. And of course everyone laughed and applauded. And then when he was out of office, he went on um, on all the news networks and said, I feel really bad about that because, uh, you know this really happened mm-hmm. and uh i didn't know it but he was he was he's actually a uh, a licensed pilot mm-hmm. so he saw it too mm-hmm. uh, not while flying he was on the ground but but i mean he has a lot more experience with flying things than most of us do yeah uh, so um yeah i think that's interesting
0: mm-hmm. no it totally is um so at the the, the instant Devil's Day when it when it happened, and um, was there no feeling beforehand about you um thinking it was something that was going to happen? Or... Yes.
1: But, but that's 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 a really interesting thing because I've I've had other you know I've had other people write to me who've had similar experiences to mine, mm-hmm. and a lot of them report the same thing. Here's what really happened: is uh we were um. And we, neither one of us had ever been camping before. So this was a new experience for us. And, you know, we did all the fun stuff you do when you go on a camping trip. And we'd had really a really pretty good day. And we're on these air mattresses with the fire in between us. And uh, I, I recall um, my friend saw something. He's like, hey, were those lights there before? And he had his head turned to the west away from me and uh, I I couldn't see what he was talking about and I stood up and I saw these three triangular or or triangle of little stars sitting just above the horizon Mm -hmm. and they were too far above the horizon to have been lights like from a highway or a parking lot or something and I said no those weren't there before I don't know what those are and uh, we're watching them some for some period of time, I wanna say about a half an hour or so, again, I didn't time it on my watch, but we're talking about it and they moved. And what they did at first was they rotated like they were on an axis and they turned about 120 degrees. And uh, that's when I felt this sense of calm wash over me, this mildly sedated uh, feeling. And you know, when two people see something incredible, human nature is, you know, you want, you want to debrief with the other person and have them validate your experience for you. You know, did you see what I saw? You know, uh, and there was none of that. There was just silence between us. But I remember that, uh, I knew that we were witnessing something yeah. unusual. Um, and then they started to climb upward into the sky and uh, I could feel this feeling of sedation wash over me almost in waves and um, very little to no conversation between the two of us so our our response to that was just uh you know not normal not typical
0: yes this going go for that though and and for what you have seen that night, for what you seen that night, and um, and for what you experienced, was that the, the common thread that goes through quite a lot of scenarios where, as you said, you don't talk about it. You don't talk about it after. You you tend to do something obscure like go to sleep. I mean, as you, as you did as well, and that and that's that's a common theme with quite a lot of these things where it's just doesn't get talked about. And it's not because it's... Um, sometimes it might feel like it's, it's bad talking about it, or whatever else, but it's it's, it's just a kind of thing that people brush it off or they, they, they tend to... I've, I've heard stories where, where, with friends, where one would see something, another one would just totally deny it happened. And yeah, like, I, a, I, I think
1: that speaks to the level of their influence over us. I genuinely mm-hmm. believe that. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I think that's just contrary to human nature. Mm -hmm. You know, we should have each been bolstering our experience and saying, yeah, this is what we saw, put our heads together and and, uh, compare notes, but we didn't, we didn't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, what else was really odd was that uh, this guy, Toby, um, was my best friend. You know, we worked together on a night shift. Um, We both had uh, plans to go to college. We both had career plans mapped out and we were both newly married our wives were the best of friends Mm -hmm. and uh you know on our days off we might play cards or tennis or do something um barbecue over toby's house you know we would spend time together so um really strange we left we left the um the meadow and uh you know we left all our stuff there we were just happy to leave We mm-hmm. left the tent, everything there. And I took my wallet and my car keys. That was it. And uh, Toby was able to navigate me in the, in the dark, which was an amazing feat um, and get us back to the main road. But on the way back, I sensed something was different. Something was different between the two of us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And here this guy is, um, and he said, we're both in a lot of pain, but I think he's, they whatever they did to me, they hurt him worse because mm-hmm. he was kind of curled up into a ball on this big bench seat in my uh, 1966 Impala. And I suddenly wanted nothing to do with the guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I really had trouble with that. I couldn't reconcile that feeling. And uh, I, I have trouble with it today,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it changed the character of our of our friendship And there are hundreds of examples of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got, you know, hundreds of letters from people telling me that their group of friends witnessed something. And then uh, I call it the band breaks up. Everybody goes in a different direction. Yeah. And there's an excellent book by Raymond Fowler called The Allagash Four. About uh, 1974, I think was the year, four guys. Two of them were twins, Jack and James Weiner, another guy named Rack, R-A-K, and I don't remember the fourth gentleman's name. The four of them were all best of friends. Yeah. And they went out and they uh, did this camping trip, Um, and they camped on on this lake um, off the Allagash River, Hmm. and they were really in a remote area, I mean, miles from anywhere. And they wanted to fish at night. So what they did was uh, they took up, they had, you know, uh, what do you call it? A chainsaw Mm -hmm. and they cut some wood and they built this huge tower of wood for firewood. And they lit this firewood and it just made this gigantic, gigantic fire that would burn for hours. And they did that because they knew these guys knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. That if they went out onto this lake in the middle of the night with no moon or, or, little moon, uh, they wouldn't be able to find their way back to the camp. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of like their uh, lighthouse to get to to navigate them back. And while they were fishing, um, one of the guys I don't remember who uh, saw something and said, is that the moon? And he remembers everyone looking and it was obvious it wasn't the moon. Mm
2: -hmm. And it
1: suddenly got bigger and brighter and it was an aluminum canoe and it lit up the inside of that aluminum canoe like crazy. And that's when these guys were terrified and they're just paddling like crazy to get to shore. And then that's it, they don't remember anything. The next thing they remember is they're paddling back to shore at a leisurely pace and their fire that had been gigantic bonfire some hours earlier Mm-hmm. is now just barely visible as a pile of uh, you know glowing embers, mm-hmm. and that group of friends all all split up. They all went different ways after this event. matter of fact, even on the car on the way back, there was no conversation about it. <laughs> even the twins, and you know how close twins normally are, yeah they 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 didn't communicate very well, didn't communicate very much at all. The only reason that this whole event came to light was the one the one twin was having nightmares about being abducted while on the, on the lake. And he calls his brother up and says, Hey, you know, I've been kind of bothered by this nightmare. Let me run something by you. And the twin, the, the other twin says, no, let me tell you, do you dream about this? And he described, they're both having the exact same dream. Mm-hmm. And that's when they decided to, uh, see a psychiatrist or psychologist, I can't remember which, undergo hypnotic regression Mm -hmm. and recover those memories. So amazing story,
0: very good book It must be something they do to you because you think anything, if people are surviving a traumatic experience together, it would usually probably bring them together closer.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So
0: it must be something that's done to, to, to make you part because it happens in so many different cases. across the world, everywhere.
1: You know, there are two exceptions to that rule that I can think of, and that was Betty and Barney Hill remained very close for the rest of their marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Kathleen Martin, who is uh, Betty Hill's niece, and uh, she confirmed that. And um, the other one was a gentleman from South Africa who contacted me, and he, uh, he was an auto mechanic, in a mm-hmm. town somewhere from I don't I don't know the name of the village I won't say it but um, he had a call from a uh customer saying that his uh the uh belt on his uh, tractor had broken down and he needed a new belt mm-hmm. and the guy said you know I knew exactly what he needed I had worked on his machine before he said I you know threw it in his uh in his car his range rover and uh drove out to the, to the, to the farmer's field and saw him at the far end of the field, drove out to the far end of the field. And the guy was just freaking out. He was <laughs> going crazy. And all I could say was over there next door, I saw them, I saw them. And, uh, they both together walked through this thick brush that separated his property from his neighbor's property. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he said he saw four of these uh, bullet shaped silver objects uh, the size of a full size van. Mm -hmm. And they were in the middle of this field in kind of like a diamond shaped formation. And they were all rotating real quick, real, real fast. And the guy said that he thought it was a motion picture set. He was looking for cameras and couldn't find anything. And, uh, he made the decision. He said, well, I'm going to walk over and greet them. And his friend said, no, don't do that. You're going to put yourself in jeopardy. And his friend had a pistol out. He's like, put the pistol away. we need for that, you know, you you know, you'll shoot me. So anyway, he walks across the field, the short distance and walks up to one of these things that's spinning. And as he, he says, as it's spinning, it slows and stops and in a doorway Opens up like a like a camera lens uh, like like, uh, like the pupil of an eye would. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the doorway opens up and there's a what looked like a, these are his words. It looked like a man of the Mongolian race dressed in a tin foil suit with tin foil boots. And he said he he spoke to me by thought transference. I'd never heard the term thought transference before. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were a couple things he spoke, uh, we communicated by uh, email and his, his writing was half English, half Afrikaan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We had a little bit of dif- difficulty communicating, but we got, we got everything right, that's important. And um, the man thought, the, the man in the spacecraft spoke to him by thought transference. And he said to him, we apologize for the trespass we're we're, uh, affecting some repairs and we should be done very shortly and be on our way. And this guy, I I, I love this line. This line would make a movie. This is, he said that he said to this alien, he said, well, you know, I'm pretty good with machinery. Would you like me to come in and take a look, see if I can help? I just I just thought that's a that's the greatest line. And he was sincere. And uh, the um, The uh, man in the tinfoil suit said, your friend is very concerned, he's not doing well. You should go back and reassure him that everything's okay, we'll be gone Mm -hmm. very shortly. Uh, And that's what he did in a short while later, they all lifted up, he said in unison and took off, you know, zero to 500 miles an hour and we're gone. (laughs) But those two guys, uh, he said we were like two old war mates. He said, we, you know, we'd get together and, and have a whiskey every chance we could and go over this experience over and over again. And they just couldn't talk about it enough and they stayed best of friends. So that's it's, kind of nice. And it's uh like I said, it's a rare exception to the rule.
0: No, it is. I mean, but you do find, as we say, there's, there's people just part, part, um, company, or just don't talk about it. I mean, that's that. So, so, so after you encountered, um, and Devil's Den, you and Toby, and you should take it up in the ship, and uh, not going into too much detail in that, obviously just to, you know, to ruin everything for, for the for the listeners, for if they're going to get the book and stuff. Um, but when you say you you got back, I you know you, you were you're dehydrated as you say, and and you were um pretty feeling feeling pretty terrible.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, so feeling pretty terrible and stuff. And then, then obviously that incorporated into the, the mix, the, the OSI agents um, for the base and stuff. Or were, were they from the base, or were they drafted in from elsewhere? I know it's a bit of, a, a, a roundabout, quite a big question in that. So.
1: Yeah, and, and I can't I can't speak to that because I don't know the answer because I wasn't familiar with OSI agents so uh, mm-hmm. any at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Other than uh, I knew that they had a reputation for being uh, harsh. Yeah. And uh, when we got back to the base, we both had severe sunburn. We had flash burns to the eyes. That's the same burn that like an arc welder would get if they didn't wear that hood with the smoke glass. Yeah. And uh, had the worst sunburn I'd ever had in my life, but I never blistered and I never peeled. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we were both severely dehydrated so they hospitalized us but they separated us Mm -hmm. and they put us each in separate rooms and uh, uh, there's a gentleman named Robert Hastings who's written a couple books here and he also was uh, famous for the 2001 uh, press club hearings in uh, Washington DC back Mm -hmm. in 2001 uh, to talk about UFOs And uh, his specialty is um, people in the military that see uh, far and out, you know, UFOs, UAPs, whatever you want to call them, have an experience. And he said that it's absolutely, he cites a bunch of experience, a bunch of examples. It's it's common, it's common practice for them to break up the two, you know, if there are four guys that see something, four people, they'll send them off in four different uh, directions. Uh, Mm -hmm. They'll break them up. And uh, so I'm in the hospital. Uh, I was hospitalized three days, two nights. And I was there on the second night. I knew I was gonna be going home sometime the next day. And an OSI agent, uh, my my night nurse came in to give me an injection and these two guys in business suits came in and followed her. Um, And no, they weren't black. People asked me if they were men in black. No, they weren't. They wore blue business suit. Uh, But I could tell they were cops. These guys were plainly police officers. I mean, you know, they had that kind of swagger. They had their uh, suit coat unbuttoned. I could see that they had a shoulder holster with a firearm in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, one was an older guy, maybe late forties, early fifties. And the other guy was a a captain, um, early thirties maybe. And uh, they walked in and they showed me their badges and uh, read me my rights under the Uniform Code of Military Justice and uh, you know Toby and I made this pact and we promised one another that under no circumstances would we tell anybody that we saw a UFO you know the size of a medical building Mm -hmm. Uh, because we feared and it was a legitimate fear we feared that uh, you know, we'd be sent for a psychological evaluation or maybe dismissed from the military, you know, and that could lose, could cost us our, our GI bill, our ticket to a college education. Uh, And neither one of us wanted that. So we said that we would, and we were opposed to lying. So the, the story we told was we went to bed feeling funny and woke up feeling terrible and, Felt so sick, we just came home. Mm -hmm. Now, on the face of it, that's the truth. Um, So, that was our story. And uh, that's what I told this OSI agent. Now, you know, I don't know how this OSI agent knew, but he knew. Mm -hmm. He knew what we saw, no question in my mind. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And uh, toward the end of this interrogation, uh, the captain leaves. And then it's just me and this major in the room. And he had this Alabama and Mississippi accent. I'm not sure which. But he got down close to my ear and he whispered. He said, son, I know and you know, you two knuckleheads stumbled onto something while you were out there. And I think you know what I'm talking about. And I didn't answer. I didn't answer. I didn't know how to answer and he said, uh, because I had a reputation in the squadron for being an amateur photographer. Mm-hmm. And, and that, was, that, was, that was commonly known. And he, uh, he asked me, he says, all I wanna know is how many pictures of it did you take? And you know, without thinking, I blurted out, sir, I didn't take a single picture. And he just smiled because I just confirmed for him that, mm-hmm. that I saw something, you know? Yeah. And, uh, like I say, he knew. Uh, hmm. I don't know how he knew, but he knew.
0: That's what I found most interesting about it as well. That part of it is how they knew that. So did they have prior knowledge yet of the tracking? Or this, so, that, so that's that's just... There's so many avenues you can go with that.
1: You know, I think there are three distinct possibilities. It could be... Um, Number one, it could be that we work arm in arm with these aliens. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a an agreement. Or it t- could be that um, we had an earlier agreement, and they are exceeding the uh, the bounds of their contract.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, maybe they're maybe they're allowed to take by treaty. You know, there's a rumor that back in the 50s, uh, when uh, Dwight Eisenhower was president of the United States that he met with aliens and they signed some type of treaty or pact Mm -hmm. agreement, whatever you want to call it. And if they did that, you know, we may have granted them permission to take X number of people per year, X number of head of cattle, because cattle mutilations, cattle abductions are a real thing here. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the second possibility. And, you know, the third possibility Is that they do what they want to do, and we can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. They act with impunity. uh, I hope that's not the case. You know, any one of the three, uh, I don't particularly care for.
0: No, I know that's that. There's possibilities here in in all of them, um, and that. So so moving on for, well, stay with the OSI like slightly. I know like. A section other than the OSI, which if you can touch on a wee bit, we have they done a bit of regression with you. Um, did you ever get regression any? If you can touch on that, but then did you ever get regression after that? Uh, with any other experiences?
1: Yeah, I, I had, uh, and I'll keep it brief. I had regression uh, through o- the OSI. The OSI brought me into their headquarters, and they had hypnotists come in. Mm -hmm. a major um, and I was given a drug called sodium ametol. and I had probably 30 people email me and said either I or my uncle or somebody knew of this happening and it was common in the 60s and 70s for Mm -hmm. them to do this and uh, since then I wanted to be regressed uh, but I've been fearful of it just um, a week ago, a week ago Saturday, I was in uh, Kentucky in a very rural area, and uh, it was a bunch of people from KGRA radio, and we did a, uh, a Bigfoot hunt, yeah. um, and it was combination barbecue and get-together and, and the like, but there was a young lady there who was a uh, hypnotherapist, and she asked me, she says, have you ever been regressed? And I said, you know, I haven't. And I'm really not, I don't think I'm ready to with one exception. And I, I talk about it in the uh, Devil's Den, the Reckoning, mm-hmm. where I had the my iPhone in my pocket yeah. of my T-shirt while I was sleeping. I had earbuds in. And uh, the next day, um, well, long and short, it was my iPhone health app. Showed that I was 60 feet above my house. Mm-hmm. Now it's designed to show flights of stairs climbed on 10 foot increments.
0: And the GPS but, now. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and you know, well, that's what I thought too. And it, it spells it out on an XY graph with the vertical scale, the X graph showing height in 10 foot increments. And then the Y axis going from left to right shows passage of time. Mm-hmm. So if I walked up six flights of stairs, like I've done before, like when my parking garage or something, car park, you know, you would see uh, uh, because as time passes, my height goes up. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was only one bar. There wasn't that stair step reading. There was one bar Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I took it to the Apple store and the guy at the Apple store, pardon me, the woman at the Apple store told me, that between 523 and 524 a.m. within that one minute period, I went 60 feet above my house. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And that was the one incident that I wanted to be regressed on. And, uh, and she did, and she regressed me. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't have a lot of memory. She said it would probably take two or three regressions to get the whole fact out under this, under this uh, trance, I, I, I don't know how you're supposed to feel when you're hypnotized. I just felt very relaxed that she was taking me through the date and the time of the incident. Mm-hmm. And I'm just seeing it in my mind's eye, like a memory. Uh, I don't know if it's a true memory or not. But in this memory, I'm floating up in the air. I'm outside of my house. It's cold. I can see lots of starlight. And I can see a circular round ship above me, and I'm going up into that. And uh, we, we stopped there. It was like an hour and a half to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what to think about hypnotic regression. Mm-hmm. Um, Do,
0: was it, was it a bit, you were you were talking about where um, if you are getting regression, you seen a blank screen for... for as far as you can go, but if you couldn't go any further or see any further, was it just a blank screen, or was it what was it you were seeing after the fact, or was it just stopping?
1: You're talking about a, a, the the April uh,
0: 2019 event. No, just in the in the regression in, in general, like that one for example, if you, when you it's taking you so far within the regression and it stops, is it just like a blank screen you can't see any further, or?
1: Yeah, you know that's I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what it was, because then what do you see next? And I said, I just see black. Mm-hmm. And I think that that memory is blocked. That's what she told me. She mm-hmm. says that memory is probably blocked. And I said, is there a way to get around that? And she said, yeah, with multiple sessions, you might might be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that indicates that something is blocking your memory. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be. Some deep psychological fear, you know, that's a protection, a protective device. It could be of your own making, or, you know, it could be ET's way of uh, keeping secrets.
0: The, the reason I asked that question as well is um, I had a basically a, a witness who had, had, had seen something, and they, they were in a, a medical practitioner so that they could do a bit of self-regression. So the, the, the tried, they they that they're trying that and they done it multiple times and they got to the event but past the, the they they'd seen something it wasn't like a it wasn't like a, a UFO or such type it was like they'd seen like some type of entity type thing running and they were in a car and when they got round this corner it was with the family in the car and stuff they got in this corner and and um, they done the self regression and every time they did it. He would get round the corner and it was just a black screen. And they couldn't get round the screen. It was just like a, an actual black screen. And it, exactly you right. could see up until that screen went around about the screen. But he always kind of thought about maybe going further than getting more regression to find that it was past that. Because he, he said that although this, they spoke about the thing they scene, seen, um, him and his wife, and the kids seen it as well, um, but it was... He, he couldn't remember much after that. He said, when I, he goes, On, after the event, I couldn't remember actually passing that or how we got home. Or it was like the, the days later at work, he goes, I, I felt like in a bit of days. And he said, I couldn't actually remember where, how we got home or whatever. He goes, we probably did drive home at some point, but I couldn't remember the rest of that drive home, coming home. And he goes, that's why I, I try to get past the actual thing I've seen first. Um to see what actually happened after like because i think, think some happened after seeing this thing um so that was, it was quite interesting
1: it's very interesting because that's exactly the experience I had mm-hmm. uh, when I, when i was going up into the air there was a circular ship above me with a black area underneath and mm-hmm. that's when things went black and because in my mind in my mind's eye i could see this play out almost like a movie
2: mm-hmm
1: uh, I mean, I knew it was a memory. I didn't know, I knew it wasn't real, uh, but I could see it playing out in my head. And then we got to that point and it was just a black screen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, that resonates with me.
0: No, it's totally interesting. Um, so Moving on to for, for that, and then obviously where um, further on, you, you spoke about Betty uh, in the book. Um. Do you I'm not going obviously we don't need to touch on what you were told because you can leave it for um listeners to in the book if we don't want to touch what you're actually told in that. But um do you think why do you think you were told what you were told and do you think they tell the truth?
1: Well, those are two great questions. And you know, um it's crossed my mind that I could have been told a lie for purposes of misinformation
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: to make me look a fool or make the, the subject look ludicrous and unbelievable. Uh, that's possible. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the future holds. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I felt this um, fondness for this entity, Betty or Sue, as I knew her as a, as a young child. And uh, I would feel very betrayed if that were the case, but uh, mm-hmm. but who knows? I I don't I don't know what their intentions are. Mm-hmm. Um, I got more of a vibe from her of concern mm-hmm. than I did um, misinformation, mm-hmm. and I hope that's right. Uh, you know, I think I had this this these feelings for her, and don't get me wrong, they're not romantic in any way. Uh, But they're more maternal, Uh, I guess, because I was four when we first when I first encountered her. Mm -hmm. uh, These are kind of maternal feelings that I have for her. And uh, I don't know. I, you know, that's that's the huge question. Uh, What's all this about? I I would love to sit down with her and have her answer questions, but. uh, It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, they tell me what they want me to know, and uh, you know, they're just—they're just not taking questions that day. Does
0: it—does it worry you or keep you up at night for what you were told?
1: No, uh, it doesn't, because uh, I, I've had things happen over the years, uh, and I—and I don't mention this, I don't think, in any of my book, either of my books, and I should. My wife and I, over the years, have had uh, strange experiences with electronics in particular. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And uh, we've had, uh, oh, my gosh, since 1977, we've lived a dozen different places and had dozens of television sets. And uh, to this day, it'll happen maybe once, maybe twice a year Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night. The television set will turn itself on in the living room, never in the bedroom, always in the living room. Mm -hmm. and it used to scare us you know but that's it hasn't scared us in a very long time now it's Mm -hmm. just a nuisance and whichever one of us is more awake gets up and goes in it gets the remote turns it off and you know we always say out loud knock it off now i don't know if that helps or not but Mm -hmm. it makes me feel better to say it Mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing i've had happen uh, only a couple of times but it's pretty dramatic when it happens is i'll be I'll be driving. This happened in Michigan and it happened in Vermont. Um, I'm living in Texas now. It hasn't happened since we've been here. But I'll be I'll be driving and on like a um, like a residential street, you know, or like a downtown area where there are regularly spaced uh, overhead street lights. Mm-hmm. Street lights will go out as I drive past them. So and I've had. Three, maybe four, go out blank, blank, blank as soon as I go past them. Hmm. And uh, I don't know what that means, but it's unsettling, uh, especially if you're a passenger, you know. Hmm. Um, so well, yeah, I've had a lot of strange things with electronics.
0: I, I have as well. <laughs> um, no, 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 in terms of electronics um, going haywire on me, but um, certainly have with, with some things. Um, one, one question I was going to touch on as well was, um, there was one house that you, you stayed in when you were younger and you said it had a bad vibe to it. Oh yeah. Um, do you think that was linked to the phenomena or do you think it was part of the phenomena?
1: You know, I don't think that it was linked to this phenomenon, mm-hmm. but I'll say this. I I think that there are a lot of things out there that we don't know and that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, there's such a thing as the paranormal and there's such a thing as the supernatural.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they're two distinctly different things. you know. And ghosts and demons and all those things I think of as being supernatural.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the UFOs I think of as being paranormal. I don't think that there's a nexus, a connection between the two.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think they're two distinct different entities. Uh, that house that we lived in, we were only in there a year. And I have no idea why my dad bought it. It was almost identical to the house we were living in. <laughs> um, but all of us had, uh, you know, this fortune and uh, uh, things go wrong. And uh, we were all glad to get out of there. And I think that house was haunted. I think that's a, that was a supernatural event. hmm yeah.
0: But sometimes you, you find though and it's possibly just could be relayed as let's say for example you've got your um, abduction scenarios and then you get a lot of that kind of melting pot of phenomenon kind of mixing together so you might have um, poltergeist activity within a house where there's abduction scenarios happening but it's probably just be, could be laid down to that and people are just Seen it as guys activity because that's all they know. But you do find that kind of melting pot, of, of kind of things happening. And as you said, so your kind of belief in it is kind of separate in, in that regard. But right. well, you know,
1: it's not just the television. It's not just the streetlights. My wife and mm-hmm. I have experienced other events. Mm-hmm. And 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 maybe you know the two are happened simultaneously, paranormal and the supernatural event. Mm -hmm. But we've had events like uh, I had my car keys go missing. Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: I, you know, I'm a creature of habit. I know where I put my car keys. I put them in the same place, you know, every time with my wallet. I know where they're at. Uh, And my car keys came up missing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, I'm sorry, I got it backwards. My wallet came up missing. My car keys were right there. My wallet came up missing. Mm -hmm. And uh, but same thing. I knew where it was. I knew where it should be. Mm-hmm. And I looked all over and I couldn't find it. And I'm just, you know, this is like four days in and I'm just ready to uh, start canceling credit cards and, and doing all the things you have to do when you lose a wallet. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife said, did you check in the garage? Did you check everywhere? And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> whether a little cubby hole with a hot water heater that we've not been in that, in that, in three years, we've not been in that yeah. room. And I opened it up, and my wallet was sitting right on top of the hot water heater.
0: <laughs> that so, that, that's, that happens time and time again with these things as well. It's, we'll find things obscure places, in freezers, and 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 all that kind of stuff. You know I mean, yeah. one other thing I was going to ask you, um, because obviously you, you've came through the kind of military connection as well, and all the the recent um, revelations going on, where the kind of dis- the start of the kind of disclosure, uh, as if we say, where Louise Elizondo and and going through all the kind of stuff they were doing. And then after that, where the, the programme and the history channel where they were doing unidentified and stuff. Um, were you ever contacted any of them? Because obviously you had a kind of military correction. I know they, they didn't really touch on the abduction scenarios um, that much. They, t- they touched on it on one of the kind of last episodes they did. And I think it was just... It's maybe just a wee bit too far from the way I could probably see it, but they did actually touch on it. So, do you contacted or did they discuss anything with yourself?
1: Um, you know, if we're talking about uh, disclosure and how it's going to progress, yeah.
2: um,
1: you know, I, I think that it's going to be done incrementally, if, yeah. if at all. I mean, there, there, there's two scenarios, uh, something that they have no control over something dramatic happens, you know, spaceship lands in, on the United Nations uh, parking lot or something, you know, uh, that's something they have no control over. But um, if they're going to disclose to the public incrementally, um, and I think whatever they disclose is gonna be uh, valid worldwide. I mean, it's gonna be do people believe or not believe that but I think it's gonna be in just tiny pieces. I think it's gonna be just like now, um, we have the Nimitz carrier group and uh, uh, that other task force. Uh, you know, we have, we have US active duty, Navy personnel yeah. who state that they see something and our government has certified that whatever they saw wasn't um, to the best of their knowledge, terrestrial in nature.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so that's as far as they'll go uh, for right now but you know they're they're um in the united states the united states announced kind of quietly that it's going to um begin a separate office an agency devoted to the study of uaps and the phenomenon Mm um that that um I was joking with my wife. I said, I want to send them a resume. And I mean, it's, it's just right now, it's just to the point where Congress has approved funding for it. Mm -hmm. That's as far as it's gotten that I know of, I mean, Mm -hmm. um, but they're going to set up this agency, set up this office. And what are they going to do? I don't know. I find it hard. They're going to, to believe they're going to set up an agency if they don't have something known to study. Yeah. They know, they should, they know so much more.
0: Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. There's so much more going on.
1: Should we be afraid? I, and I don't know. I get asked that question all the time. Should we be afraid? Mm-hmm. I
0: don't know. It's a hard one. I mean, it really is. But um, I think there's a kind I think it possibly should be. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be nefarious or bad or, or whatever, but I, I do believe that there's a reason why... There's like a, a push to try and let people know quicker than they probably even plan to at some point. So that's that's what I kind of believe in my own kind of head, that they're, they're, something's turned their hand to actually say, right, we need to do this now. No, because um, the, the people should know and all that kind of stuff. I, I do think that something's turned their hand to, to make it be pushed a bit more. And to be fair to some of the people who are, are, are working at like Louise Lazando and, and things like that. I mean the, the stand up guys, you know what I mean? But there's obviously people above that and it's allowing it to happen. No stopping it from happening. So um
2: so there's
1: And I reason. question too, do we do we fear the government or do we fear, you know, people could uh I mean, I don't personally, I don't think this is going to happen. But you know, there could be riots in the streets of New York and and Tokyo and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, wherever, I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. and if that happens, you know, your neighbors might be uh, the enemy who knows, I mean, supply chain disruptions, there's all kinds of crazy things that could flow from that, uh, from such an announcement. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have no idea what the religious community how they would react to such a thing. Now, supposedly, the Catholic Church has admitted that um, it's possible for extraterrestrial beings to exist. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they do, and they come here, they said that they would welcome them and seek to baptize them into the Catholic Church.
0: <laughs> that was so, that was another that was another comment as well that was kind of kept. I'm not saying low key, but it just wasn't. A, um, Mainstream people can be thinking of it, or or that that statement coming out of the Vatican as well and stuff. Big statement. Big, big statement. statement.
1: And you know, I got interested in that and I researched that after they made that statement, what, 2017, 2016, it's been a while now. Uh, I didn't know that the Vatican uh, aggressively recruits and hires physicists, cosmologists, and astronomers. And that the Catholic Church owns, and this is fact, this isn't, you know, misinformation, mm-hmm. owns um, three observatories, one in Northern Italy, one in California, and one in South America, I want to say Brazil.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, they uh, they routinely publish papers in respected journals uh, on the topic, scientific journals, discoveries made by by uh, by Roman Catholic priests that are brought into the priesthood and uh, made astronomers, and you know, I guess my question is why, why, why would the Church um, spend the time and money to investigate that? Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just really mm-hmm.
0: It's Really interesting.
1: It's really
0: interesting. but definitely we're, we're living in interesting times. Definitely are. Mm-hmm. Well, Terry, listen. I'd like to thank you very much for your time and and covering uh, obviously your stories, with us and your accounts through your years and obviously your book as well. I mean, your your two books are amazing. And uh, uh, get anybody, obviously, if you can get out and and get the book. Listen to it. I mean, I was lucky enough for the 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 work I had at the time. I could sit and listen to it on a good drive. So I have listened a good number of times and pretty good and stuff. So. Um, I I totally thank you for your time, Um, and I really appreciate you coming on and and coming on as well. So so on behalf of the Scottish Parliament podcast, um, I'd like to say thanks very much.
1: Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Take care.
0: Take care.